Rough Trade is giving away a third of the first three months of the Rough Trade Club plus new music membership exclusively to 101 Part-Time Jobs listeners. Become a member of Rough Trade Club New Music and you'll receive the Rough Trade Album of the Month straight to your door every month on an exclusive vinyl pressing with bonus material. Club members have received exclusive pressings of albums from Sufjan Stevens, Sprints, The Last Dinner Party, English Teacher and Over Mono, just to name a few, this past year alone. Sign up using the promo code CLUB101POD and you'll get Rough Trade's Album of the Month, Camera Obscura's Look to the East, Look to the West for a third of the usual price. By signing up, you'll be getting Rough Trade's exclusive issue of the album on opaque purple in a gatefold sleeve plus a bonus CD containing five demos. Don't want the album of the month but still want all the benefits? Sign up to the standard tier using Club 101 Pod and you'll still get the first month free. You'll also get free shipping on all orders, 10% off at the bar and on secondhand vinyl in store and exclusive access to sold out Rough Trade events. So don't hang around. Head to roughtrade.com slash club and sign up with the code CLUB101POD. That's CLUB101POD and claim money Money off Rough Trade's album of the month today. This offer is for UK residents only. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app. And you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Is it working? I, th- I think it's working. A very warm quarantine welcome to 101 Part-Time Jobs, the podcast where I speak to musicians and bands about basically what they've got up to when they're not on stage. In an unprecedented move, 
I've got another member of a band with members I've previously spoken to. And this time it's Henry Cox from Boston Manor, who I didn't realise because he doesn't even say it on the YouTube. I need to let him know that he's not bigging himself up enough. Directed their videos that recently came out. They just released an album, Glue, and there's a couple of singles from it. On a High Ledge and Rat King are the two that really come to mind. If you don't know the band, you should go and check those out immediately. They're really interesting and he directed them and he tells me about how he went to college to do film and we talk about how that how that correlates with being a singer or a lyricist. He also tells me all about the bevy of jobs that he had growing up and he's got some really crazy stories in this, none of which I've really read about in magazines or or anything before so maybe this is an exclusive interview so maybe i need to do some press releases it was such a pleasure speaking to henry about this and and chatting for a for, for a good chunk of a good chunk of time the stories kept on coming so enjoy this is 101 part-time jobs with henry cox from boston manor well i started working when i was like 13 <laughs> for like child labor wage I, I always had like i don't know my dad was always just kind of like you gotta get a job so i was like yeah because my parents never really gave me like money or anything so I was like, well, if you want to do stuff and have, basically, if I want to go and buy um, cider <laughs> for the weekend, as was the custom at the time, uh, you need money for that and stuff. So I, I just kind of wanted to get a job. So I, I started off working in like, um, it was like my my friend's mum had like a bed and breakfast. I'm from Blackpool, so it's bed and breakfast city. Uh, so my, my, my friend's mum had a, a B&B. Um, and I started off just like cleaning the hotel rooms on Saturday mornings and stuff. And then, I, I got on really well with her uh, and she was just like, she could run the whole thing by herself. So I ended up kind of like helping her do everything from like the cooking to the, like taking bookings and, and events and all, all sorts of stuff like that. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like there's, there's so many fucking jobs, man, that my, my, my fucking, the one that I always joke about that, but I had this for years. Uh, there, there was this place on business on the, on the promenade uh, and it was run by this, wicked guy who was an, a total like he was so dodgy he was called uh robbo this big big bloke and he uh he, he had like loads of businesses you know what i mean like inverted air quotes businesses and <laughs> and like side hustles and stuff but he, he was also like a laborer and he, he used to do like shop fitting and roofing he's a roofer and and he freaked me out one day he was like he was like he's like stab me in the hand with this knife i was like what no like, no, stab, go on, stab me in the hand with this knife. I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, and he was like, Jeez, all right, I, I'll do it. And he, he picked up, it was like, it was like a little, um, you know, like a knife that you'd cut limes with in a bar. It was like one of those, like a little skinny one. Yeah. And he, uh, he just literally put this knife straight through his hand and it came out the other side. And I what? like freaked out. Uh, and basically it turned out that he, he told me this story. Basically he was, um, he was a roofer uh, and the, they had this big pot of like bitchment or like basically tar on them on the roof that, that, that it keeps turning and mixing like a cement mixer and somebody knocked it over and it fell this but like it, i think it cooks at like 800 to a thousand degrees fell off the roof onto him and he had this massive uh, work jacket on with a collar up and a hat on which luckily protected most of his body but oh the the bitchman ran down his his, his arm uh, and went into his glove and basically pressure cooked his hand and when he took <sighs> it out uh, or the, the paramedics or whatever, all uh, like his fingers and his bones of his fingers were all intact, but the middle, like the center of his palm, all of the bone and the, like the everything was just, it was just a hole. It was just gone. So all what? now the middle of his hand was all basically like, like 
like a sort of like fiberglassy type thing. Holy crap. Yeah, is it is insane. And he was like, yeah, yeah, just like touch it. Like he's like, there's there's I think there's like metal there's like metal rods that kind of tie it all together. And then the rest is um Wow. Uh, and then there's loads of bits missing. So he's like, yeah, there's like four spots on my hand where I know I can just put a knife through it and I can't feel anything because there's no nerves there. And it, it Robo. was insane. I also once saw him, somebody stole five pounds from the till while I was working it, like through the window, like put the hand out. It was, in, it was, a, it was an ice cream like stall <laughs> on the promenade. What? And he, he jumped in his uh, Range Rover, drove down the promenade, all Peter, like 50 miles an hour, people jumping out of the way. Uh, and then he knocked this guy over with his car punched him in the face and just took the fiber back and the guy's wallet and just i I saw loads of crazy shit like that man this this guy was a character wow it kind of like you go through shit like that and the rest of the world just isn't as exciting exactly (laughs) well i I had loads of really boring jobs after that and i kind of missed it but so this this thing was like it was like an ice cream stall and then there was like he started adding loads of extra bits but but it was next to this big like miniature train thing that goes all like around this this mini golf course all on the promenade so i used to drive this mini train that was like my job from being about 14 till maybe 17 incredible he didn't want to know really because he had all these other businesses so for a couple of years he just left me in charge and just came back at the end of the day and i gave him the money and he basically said you know we need three or four ex-members of staff so i just hired all my friends so me and my friends just used to run this business together for like three years it was amazing every summer we just used to for like four months i would i would kind of run this thing and and drive this little mini train and stuff it was sick it was best job i ever had were you good at saving it up? No, no, I was shit at that. No, I spent it. I spent it all on just like having fun, really. Yeah, I'm like really good at bullshitting CVs and like job interviews as well. It's probably why I had so many jobs. So it was, I never worried about like, like you say, like missing a shift because I was like, well, if I had to quit, I can just get another job really, really easily, and and just kind of job hop and just keep like minimum wage shit coming in. Um, yeah. But things like that, like I would say that I'd like manage this establishment and had staff under me so when i was 16 it looked like mad <laughs> impressive but all i was doing was dicking around at an ice cream store you know <laughs> were there were there any people at work that that you worked alongside who you know you kind of basically had to got in a position where you had to tell them you were in a band and uh d- did anyone kind of give you flack for that i remember kind of like so i i joined i started the band when i was like 19 so the jobs I would have had would have been like bar jobs in the summer from university and stuff. And I, I used to work, do you know the Deaf Institute? In, um, yeah. Yeah, I used to work there as well. Great venue. Yeah, it's cool, man. Yeah, I've never actually played there, but I used to work the bar in like the gig room. So I used to get to watch a lot of gigs, yeah. which was cool. I remember um, the stage being quite small. That was oh, like yeah. serious, like fall off territory. It's, it's tiny. It's tiny. Yeah. The stupidest thing about the design of that place, right, is that uh, there's like the fire escape that run it's because it's, it's a three floor venue slash bar and it's like a real student bar as well so they have a lot of like nights on you know i'll go there a lot as well like with my friends when i wasn't working um but all the like the the pumps and, and the, um, all the stock is in the basement and then the biggest floor is on the second floor so I would be like a bar back and I would have to carry crates of beer up like three flights of stairs. But then the, the fire escape is on the opposite side of the room from the bar. And it's like a 300 cap room that will be full of people, like wasted first year students. You know, they didn't know the limits yet. They were from some fucking village in Lincolnshire or something and had never been to a pub before. So they're all wankered. And I would have to carry like three crates of beer at a time across this massive packed dance floor. And I, honestly, I can't count on two hands the amount of times I got like punched in the face by some drunk guy because I was like having to push past all these people and be shoulder to shoulder. And I, I actually quit that job because I just kept getting beaten up 
at the wow. job. It was, it was, it was really shit. But wow, um, cool, cool venue though. Yeah. How, how do you deal with that? How do you like deal on a personal level with aggression, whether you're working or not? I don't know. Like when I was a kid, I was like a bit more fighty. Like I, I probably would have like kind of put like as a teenager, I used to work in like quite rough pubs as well in Blackpool. Um, so I, you know, I've had instances where I've had like bottles thrown at me and glasses thrown at me and I've like physically fought a patron before that's happened a couple of times. But I've right. like, from when I went to uni onwards, I'd like really mellowed out and was just kind of like, cool. And and it's quite disarming. Um, if, so if you punch somebody in the face and they don't react and just carry on doing what they're doing, even if you're really drunk, you, people don't really know what to do in that instance. So I've, I've been like hit in the head and I'd be like, cool. And just carry on walking. And then, you know, I'd call over the security guy, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, I think yeah, it's more as well as I needed the money, man. I can't, I, I couldn't be like, if every time a drunk guy in a nightclub that I worked at was aggressive to me, if I like rose to that every time, then, you know, I, I wouldn't have had a job. Yeah. Yeah. I remember being really scared going to local gigs. I would always get this thing where, you know, they were like the rude boys and they'd be, be the goths or whatever. Punks yeah, or whatever. yeah. Um, like denim jackets and mohawks and and like i always used to freeze up so bad and i was always a runner <laughs> and well, and then yeah. since then as, as i got older I, like i've just always had this thing where it's like this is not going to change anything by fighting you yeah it, it, exactly and and it, it's one of those things where like i've been in a couple of scenarios where it's been kind of like there's no other option you know and that's really mm. horrible and it kind of puts those other instances where if someone's just being a drunken lout, it's easier just to not rise to it. And, and it really isn't worth it. And I've seen things go really horribly wrong as well. Like people get, not not from me, like I've not been a participant in this, but I've seen people get really, really hurt. Uh, like Blackpool's like kind of like one of the party capitals of the country. So, you know, walking home from work, you walk at like 1am, 2am, you walk through just 50 stagging hen nights, you know? So I've seen some like really horrible fights where people have been like, um, Really, really hurt. I, I actually used to work, um, there's a cafe I used to work at uh, and there was a guy called Dale. He was a nice guy actually and he was a chef there. And when I started working with him, he just got out of prison and he'd been in jail for about, I think three or four years. Um, but he, maybe longer, I don't know, but he was quite a young guy. But um, he went to jail for manslaughter and it was one of those things where he'd, he'd got in a fight and he punched a guy who not, knocked him out with one punch kind of thing um, and he hit his head and he just, because the way he landed hit his head and he just died there and then yeah it, it is insane it really is insane and and that always like really scared the shit out of me like yeah. to, to ever want to kind of like i don't want it like i'm not an aggressive person at all like i never want to fight anyone kind of thing but um i think yeah just just kind of growing up in blackpool it was just quite a rough place and um i definitely was like around it a lot more and i think when i went to uni i was like oh yeah this isn't really very normal like <laughs> you know yeah meeting people in uni and people from other other backgrounds and stuff i was like yeah this isn't kind of something that happens that needs to happen and mm. that kind of put things in, in perspective for me and and it was um you know that on a high ledge video is just so powerful man like i've been oh, thanks, to Blackpool a few times but you know that one you know clip made me feel like i've seen this kind of you know real realistic side to it and it just makes me wonder now i just want to ask you like are there any things that happened during those early days that had any kind of direct influence on any of the one songs from glue yeah well that on a high ledge um when i so there's a really big bus station in um in blackpool and um it's it's like right in the center of the of the town 
Um, and when I was like seven or eight, I saw a guy um, basically, I basically saw a guy threw himself off and died, but he landed like my family's car uh, was just sitting at a red light and he basically landed like right in front of the car, like the car. And that's why I kind of saw, saw everything basically. Um, wow, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's, it's, it's one of those things like it kind of introduced me to the concept of suicide pretty early, but bless my parents. They were, my dad's a firefighter and he was kind of straight on the scene in terms of sort of first responder. And the guy was like instantly dead, but he kind of covered, covered everything up and kind of got me and my sister away and whatnot and, and sort of got the relevant people, the necessary people there. And, you know, he just kind of took charge of the situation, but they also did a really good job of kind of explaining what that was. And um, mm. yeah. And, and I, I kind of had like problems with depression and stuff as, as like quite a really young child um from being like probably probably around then really um i'm not sure as a direct result of that but um i think i think i kind of learned a lot about all that stuff quite early on which in a way ended up being quite good for me because it gave me kind of it, it taught me how to kind of deal with those those emotions and stuff and, and really understand what that was i think the things that you see in life even at this age you know we're similar ages late 20s and you know the things i see every day now i i feel their effect on me and the way I think, I mean, like, if you take that back 15 years ago, those, those, those things will have such an impact on the way you think. Definitely. I mean, you are, you are your experiences, really, aren't you? Like, you are, as a child, you're a, you're a blank page because nothing, nothing's happened to you. Yeah, I even think that about, like, lyrics and stuff. Like, I listened to older lyrics and I was like, oh, you had, like, no life experience then. Like, mm. you, you know, you can hear when people have nothing to write about because they haven't done anything, you know? Yeah. When did you start writing lyrics? Um, I mean, I was in some like, I was in some like other like local bands and stuff before Boston Manor and I'd always kind of written like a bit of poetry and stuff. And I was like an English kid. I was like the subject I was good at in school. So I suppose, I suppose, yeah, yeah I, I don't know. It's just from being a teenager really, but, um, I, I don't think I really sort of, until we started putting my like, albums out, that's when I was like, wow, this is kind of like your legacy as the, as the singer is the, the lyrics that you've written. So you should really get yeah. better at it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Going back to the, the the jobs thing, were there any jobs that you like put, you stepped your, your toes into, you know, whilst a lot, you know, alongside doing the band that you kind of thought, oh yeah, I could, I could, I could be comfortable doing this full time. Yeah. Well, I, so I was like, I, I've never really like admitted to this because I can't, there's lots of clips of it on YouTube that I don't want people to find. Um, but I basically was like a child actor. So I, I went, I was like on film and TV and stuff as like a little kid. Um, and for ages, I thought I wanted to be like an actor and stuff. Um, and then I kind of like sort of grew, when I got into like punk, when I was like 15, 14, 15, I was kind of like, oh yeah, like <laughs> I'm over this, like see you later. But um, I always loved film um, and I always like shot all the music videos for all of my like friends bands and all the local bands and stuff. So I went to film, I went, I went to art school and, and studied filmmaking and I, for a while like that was what i thought i wanted wanted to do you know was to to go into that and i i kind of was doing that in the first like two or three years of of the band's career like that was my full-time job and that's what i was kind of aiming aiming towards really mm. um and yeah i still enjoyed you know i i've directed like like i did that on a high ledge video and I've, did you? I've yeah yeah and and i've done a few videos on the the welcome to the neighborhood album and stuff and i want to do some more for us but it's i don't know it's it's when you meet people that are really good at that and that's their whole life and their heart, they're pouring their heart and soul into that. It kind of, 
I don't know, it, it kind of makes me think like I, it's a bit disrespectful to try and do that. Oh no, man. Do you know I what think I mean? That's bullshit. I know how like any kind of thing that you enjoy as a hobby, you look at someone who's been doing it for so long and does it as a professional, you know, it dwarfs you know you of what you're doing but nah man you can't think like that anyone can pick up a camera that's the wonderful thing i mean the thing just when you were talking about that i was thinking how like it really does make sense to me anyway that a director would then be a lyricist or at least have like this kind of real kind of individual role of being in a band because it's all about perspective and the way you shoot it and the colors and and the edit is that is that is your storytelling it's interesting isn't it like i've always thought that in a way, like being a say a director and the like, you say a, a lyricist is, is 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 still telling stories, but it's really weird. Like, so in in film school, you do kind of there's different. Well, with the way we did it, it was there's various modules for each year. So there was like documentary, um, and then there was like more kind of abstracty art montage stuff that you could go into, and then there was you know straight up drama narrative stuff. Um, and I always thought having done acting, that's kind of what I wanted to do. And I was always once I got into it and learned more about like different filmmakers and different genres and i really got introduced to film properly in in film school and i realized that i wasn't so much interested in like narrative as i was like mood color texture and particularly editing that's where i what i was quite good at and that's the only thing i can still kind of competently i would say i would be comfortable enough to to do that professionally would be editing but i i think that's so interesting like that um the rat king video i just um i just smoked a bunch of weed and then one night and then basically got loads and loads of um footage uh from this old film that had basically run out of copyright from the 50s called teenagers from outer space it was so bad that basically nobody wanted it <laughs> and i just kind of took all that, that film and recut it and just made a bizarre narrative out of it with all these kind of crazy subtitles and stuff like that i think is so fun and it's it's Every, everyone's in a different perspective as well. I mean, and like you could big yourself up or put you put yourself down, and then like, and then it comes to actually creating something, and it doesn't matter because you're just creating something for the sake of creating something. Well, that's it. I think I've kind of realised now that I can't not do that. Like, I can't not. I'm, I, you know, I've kind of gotten into photography and painting and all this stuff that is more, you know, it's hobby based. Like, I'm not going to try and pursue any of those things professionally but it it's just i don't know i i can't even even if like say the band ended and i just got like a quote-unquote like regular job or whatever i just can't imagine a, a i just don't understand people who kind of end bands or, or or whatever tour for years and then stop and then you know get a real job but i can't understand people who then don't play music anymore it's so mm. weird to me they just put the guitar down sell it see you later like it, it's it's bizarre like i just it's kind of just it's all i've ever done it's all i know how to do really not only have you done it but you've done it really fucking well you know something that you <laughs> like, and your mate started and you've I, built your own job out of it i think that's the thing as well is is that's one of the cool things about the creative industries it's so hard to to um to make a living out of it but at the same time you can just craft a niche for yourself and and there's always kind of opportunity to 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 connect with other people through that and 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 to to even make money doing it you know like i was listening to um do you know justine from um employed to serve no i don't know from the band i know from the label but yeah I, I just that, now yeah. just remembered yeah holy that's Roy. what that's what i was gonna say yeah um i mean big up holy roll what a label but uh yeah. i was listening to her 100 words or less podcast the other day and uh i think it's so interesting how she's kind of 
does the employee to serve stuff and then also you know you wouldn't i wouldn't necessarily i mean no offense to holy raw but i wouldn't necessarily think of holy raw and think you know that's a big money making label you know because they've always mm. and i think they would admit themselves they've always pursued music that they love and not necessarily projects that they know that are going to be lucrative but i think it's still amazing that there is money in niche stuff like that where you can okay you may have to have a few jobs but you can go and 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 work and live off of stuff that you are passionate about yeah just don't expect it to you know to to make you a millionaire one day but if 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 you care more about that than having financial you know security not even that because you can still have financial security you just might not be rich like i think it's really cool that 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 is a possibility and it took me years to kind of figure that out i think one of the first steps of doing that maybe not that i'm doing it myself very well but is to not undersell yourself yeah dude that took me so like i so when i was doing music videos i would do because all the all i i was connected to like the punk world so even though i love like hip-hop and electronic music and those are kind of the videos that i wanted to do because i feel like those kind of slower more kind of immersive songs lend themselves better to to film than say a, a pop punk song you know um which typically is is people just playing in a room um but i was in in that world so all my friends were in those bands and they all wanted music videos doing so i would end up doing like rather than say one project where i was getting paid what i should be getting paid i was doing six projects where i was saying just give me what you have you know um and i wouldn't take that back but for years you know i was kind of like basically earning no money because all the the you know you've got to take into account i have a degree in this so i've already invested fucking a bazillion pounds into that i have all this gear that i've i've bought and paid for that that is mine and i'm actually spending if you were to log all the hours i'm spending you know i'm spending days and days and days on this but you know the band only has 500 quid so what are you going to yeah. do but yeah. for you know and and my mum is a is a small business owner and after a while she was like listen you have to just like say no to projects because even though it might mean that you're not getting some money for a couple of months you're never gonna start to um kind of build up your business and earn more money unless you are like selling yourself for what you're worth yeah it's an interesting conversation with with tattoos you know like you might uh, you might message someone on instagram be like how much and they'll be like how much you got and it's just like this kind of like mirrored kind of echo chamber yeah and i found myself maybe and i don't want to come off rude but like obviously i like i feel like you know either i can pay for it or i can't and so i might be like you know for for a bit of artwork or a flyer i might be like i've got 35 quid if that person can't do it that's totally cool well i mean it's not like i like let's use the example of you trying to get a flyer like say you're not in the world of graphic design then you may not necessarily know what the kind of going rate is for for that and it is i think it is up to the artist to or, or the, the person providing the service to to know what their value is. But it, I think for creative people, it is quite an uncomfortable conversation because we're not typically business focused people, are we? We're, you know, we're more focused on creating things than, than buying and selling, but it, it is a, an awkward conversation that you have to have really. Did you have some awkward conversations uh, with promoters as a band? Um, I, I never really dealt with the money in the band i feel like every band has like the money guy and that was never me and it still isn't me but um 
Dude, we just, we just, the only thing we never did was if a promoter promised to pay us and didn't, we never were like, okay, bye. But we, we always like, if the promoter was like, I have 50 quid, do you want to come to Swansea? We were like, yeah, <laughs> we'll lose 200, but cool. Um, you know, and that's why we ended up playing so many, like, to actually speaking of Swansea, we once played, in fact, in fact, the night before we played, um, the, the Montague arms with you guys. And we took this gig so that we could pay for that to get down for that gig. It was you guys, I think it was you guys and throwing stuff or was it your EP release show or something or an album release? I can't remember. Um, but we drove up on the way back via Swansea, which is a massive detour, but we went there and we played one of those, like those metal versus pop punk all day is, which is, as you know, always great. Um, but <laughs> basically they had all the pop punk bands had bailed and the promoter had forgotten to tell us. So it was just like a, it, it was like a beat down festival and we were still playing uh, as the early incarnation of our band, which was particularly like pop punk. And um, not that we would fit in a, on a beat down show now anyway, but we, uh, we were too, I think we were, we were playing directly before ingested and we went to Swansea to play this show. And there was like, we got there, I was like, fucking right, there's loads of people. We were like, this is cool. And then we set up and started playing and, and everybody walked out and just waited outside until we were finished playing, except for three massive bald tattooed guys in like nasty shirts who turned their backs to us. Like they stood at the back of the room and physically turned their backs to us, not conversing, like all just stood staring at the wall with their backs to us until we were we were done playing and then on the way home our van broke down and we had to push it to a petrol to a to a garage at like four in the morning how i've just got to ask every time your van broke down what was that conversation what were those conversations between the five of you the six of you we just are well like the the big one when we first broke down was like our first european like tour and we got like three days into it and um me and our tour manager at the time were driving uh like a night drive to paris we broke down in Paris or, or basically on, on the motorway <laughs> just in front of a toll road. And the rest of them had been like heavily, heavily drinking the night before. So I woke them all up and they were all like, one of them had like thrown up on himself. They were all like, like dying of a hangover. I was like, right, come on, let's get out in the rain and push this van on the motorway. Uh, and there was a toll booth just in front and, and the, the toll doubled from the time that we broke down to when we actually managed to push it through the toll. <laughs> And then um, we got towed. But in France, I guess, like, it's illegal to to break down and, and not be... So you have to just be towed by the nearest tow guy. And then they you're at their mercy, really. And the guy drove us for, like, two hours out of, to some random village outside of Paris. To his, and he knew he didn't speak French. To a, He was a bastard. Uh, to his mate's garage, who also didn't speak any English. Um, and basically just left us there and we got stuck there for like four or five well it was like three or four days we were just stuck by the side of the road in this little red van um in in france Uh, and it was it was after that like it we just we just piss ourselves every time it broke down it was just so funny like it was just so ridiculous um but mike it was mike's van and he kept taking other bands on tour and breaking the van like he it, it broke down with hindsights in germany and the engine exploded and we had to pay to have the motorway cleaned by <laughs> the German, the German police service made us pay for all, cause all the oil had like stained the motorway. So we had to pay for it to be cleaned. And we, we ended up in this like email battle with the German authorities for like two months until they eventually agreed to, 
repatriate our van and we put a whole new engine in it and fixed it up and stuff and you know it, it, oh, it happened all the time it's hysterical but we we hadn't no other choice you know if we wanted to play gigs that's how we would get there so we that's insane it. that story about the motorway is outrageous oh, yeah it happened it <laughs> happened loads of times man it was so funny but even before that van like our first ever tour was like a weekender with throwing stuff and we we did it in mike's car and we pulled out of blackpool and his just exhaust fell off <laughs> so we had to get the train to our first gig oh, oh, it just happened all the time well so what have you been doing doing now what's what's next for for boston manor well i mean we're just waiting to play these these songs live really you know um which is a bummer because are you doing anything at home like making something for for fans or are you going to be able to release anything uh we are kind of working on a few things uh but not i don't know like i'm i don't want to just start doing loads of this like in your bedroom acoustic stuff because i just it just especially this new record it doesn't sound it's not made to be played acoustically you know it's a very noisy record so you know, it, we're, we're trying to, we're, we're waiting until we're like legally allowed to, to meet in small groups so we can start like playing together. So we'll probably all just move in together when this all sorts itself out and start like actually doing sessions and stuff where we can play the songs as a five piece as opposed to just me and a piano. Um, so that's kind of something we're looking forward to, but we're just using it to write, man. Like we're just trying to be creative and, and write every day, really which has been, yeah, amazing. been great because we never normally have this much time. And if you move in together, you can do sessions online that way and try and kind of get the heaviness out in that. Yeah, that totally. I, I mean, t- before like we knew how serious this was when they were talking about like, okay, there's no gigs, but you'll still, you know, you'll still be able to meet up. We were going to do the whole like play, do a full show with a full production in an empty venue. But, um, you know, maybe we'll get to do that because um, I can't imagine... <laughs> can't imagine venues have much business right now so hopefully would that can... work similarly to um to how code orange yeah it, we, we do the exact same thing it, it, we, we we're thinking about it and then literally that day it was code orange we're like we're doing this gig we're like oh i guess <laughs> someone else had this idea but I, it was wicked i watched the whole stream it was awesome so it was heavy as well yeah yeah that record's great man it's so and so good what what you're saying about you know like it's, it's a heavy record i i think from a fan's point of view, I th- you know it, it you know it tried and tested by by that band. I mean, obviously, it requires so much production though as well. Well, exactly, and, and like we we were going to put so much into the like because I think this would have been like the last day of tour today, if the tour that we were supposed to do would have happened, and we were putting so much into the production and stuff, and and it, it's kind of just like, I just don't want to sell it short. Like, I'd, if we have to wait, you know, people have to wait. If I have to wait a year before we get to do it, I'd rather do that than you know just put out a load of shit just because i just hate you know you do see a lot of people that are just scrambling to provide like content to stay relevant and i just don't want to be one of those bands because when you when the lockdown's over that's all going to still be on the internet and and if it's subpar then or just boring then it it, you know what's the point agreed agreed 100 percent. what 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 production stuff were you gonna have are you allowed to tell me no, it was just like like we had a we've been working for so long uh, to get the lights right. Like we were finally gonna have a full fucking mad light lighting show um, and stuff. Um, we're trying to play like a lot of the synths and the sampling live as opposed to using backing tracks. Um, and we were even gonna have a kabuki drop, which was gonna be silly but really cool. What's a kabuki drop? You know where there's like a big uh, 
almost like a backdrop at the front of the stage for the start and then it all like drops down like a big curtain oh sick yeah. it's, it's it's so it's so over the top but billy was like you know billy hutton our tour manager yeah. was just like we can do this if you want and we were just like yeah <laughs> well it's kind of one of those ideas that kind of seems outrageous for 10 seconds and then you realize well it's it's a curtain if you get the lights right then you can smash it yeah and we, we wouldn't even have to like we could use our old backdrop for it. It's actually perfect. The dimensions are perfect. We have we have this really ridiculous backdrop that we only use for festivals. That's too big for any of the actual venues that we would headline. So we never get to use it. But it would be perfect for for that. Um, and yeah, it, you know, Billy and Francis had were putting loads of work into it and had all all these different ideas. And we were just kind of like, cool, wicked. Like, let's do it. Because um, we you know we've never had production before. So that's exciting i think that's the only reason that we have kind of gone on this long is that we just really like playing live like that's kind of the main the main the only point that we, the only reason we started the band was to sort of be able to play shows which from which i think is a double-edged sword really because it meant that we we kind of just ran straight into it without really kind of working on our craft which i think meant that we we just kind of played shit songs for a while until we really started to think about the kind of we didn't even really think about the kind of music that we wanted to make i think that's why our, our sort of sound has shifted so rapidly because when we started we were just kind of like yeah this cool it's fun um but it was just because we wanted to get out there and play shows so badly and i've always loved kind of being on stage and stuff and um probably <laughs> probably just i like being the center of attention or something i don't know but i <laughs> i've always enjoyed um performing in that and and you know, just the whole, you played shows with us for years, man. And just the whole like basement show thing with like 15 people, it was just, I, we just loved it. And I mean, we still do, you know, that's kind of the only reason that we wanted to, to do it. And I think you just sort of feel, I feel just really quite, quite comfortable up there. I don't know. I'm, I'm not very, um, I'm, I think every member of our band is quite in, not insecure, but like a bit, we're quite self-deprecating and, and we're a bit hard on ourselves, but you kind of get to sort of not become another person that's that sounds really cheesy and, and dramatic but you you definitely kind of get to sort of like forget about all the all your, your hang-ups while you're on stage and just like yeah, you say absolutely. kind of let loose yeah i mean i yeah i, I mean I, I know what you mean but I, I don't think it is cheesy i mean put, take anyone and put them on a stage and it's a fucking different experience man yeah you can't you can't you don't have time to think about about stuff and you just do kind of get lost in Again, it sounds cheesy, but you get you get lost in the music, and you really do sort of you you kind of. I'm a person that's always sort of like thinking about the future and thinking ahead all the time, and and when I'm on stage, you, you have no choice but to sort of like be very much in the present, and I think that's really good for you. Yeah, yeah, and and the whole reason why we're doing this right now is because our mutual friend Kieran sent me a. Uh a screenshot of someone asking you on your Instagram, how many jobs have you worked? And it was the, it was a list of like 12, 15 strong. Oh dude. And I've thought about others since then as well. I was like, <laughs> Oh, I didn't say that one. Yeah. Thank you so much for, um, for doing this, man. I really, really massively appreciate it. I, oh, I've mate. having some like really cool guests on. It just gets better and better. Oh yeah. It's, it's always uh, lovely to talk to you anyway, but I'm, you know, always, always down. I've not, I've not seen you in time, man. Right. And it's just a classic thing. I just did a, about to drop a name, just did one um, with Jimmy from Higher Power, who I, who I knew from going to gigs when, you know, we grew up in similar town, similar area. And it's like, it's the set, you know, it's so similar to, you know, friends who are in touring bands. It's like, you get to hang out maybe three times, four times a year. 
And more often than not, those are going to be like those 10 minute chats before yeah, you go on. Yeah, in it, in it. It's, it's, it's the worst environment as well to really like catch up with someone. And I always find like, it's always loud. It's always busy. It's, you know, it's kind of sucks really. Um, I remember reading in interviews in, in Kerrang when I was younger about, you know, it, it would just come up people being like, you know, I don't like playing in my hometown. And I always used to be like, what, like what? That's, it should be a party. I remember reading an interview with Dan P. Carter where, you know, it was that, it was the sort of Q and A on the, on the last page. And another question was like, what's better, a party or a gig? He's like, a gig's a party, man. I can't do an Essex <laughs> accent. But it makes me think about that. I think because around the same time, because, you know, fast forward a decade for me, oh my God, I would, I hate playing in London. In London, especially like it, with that being your hometown is, as well is nuts. Because like London for me is still always like mad in it. Like you always have the quote unquote industry people there and and then obviously it's kind of a hub for most of your friends scattered around the south so they all come as well but if that's literally where you're from then you have that whole hometown friends and family thing going on as well that must make it even even crazier you know what's manchester like for you on in that respect because i mean from the outside you know we've got a few mutual mutual friends and it's like similar to like when the menzingers come to town is something i'd put it on board with is you know the way you see it on on online it's, it, it just always looks like such a great party for boston manor yeah it, i I've, I've i'd be lying if i said i don't i don't love playing manchester but it is always that kind of thing where um like our parents always come down and stuff which is really sweet but you know they they get it like yeah definitely by now like when we're playing a home hometown show it's it's rare that we actually sort of get to say more than a quick wave and a and a hug and then see you later kind of thing but yeah i mean on the family front you know unprecedented for this podcast i got you know the second member of of a, of a band i did one you know with michael obviously a few weeks ago and uh you know something that we touched upon and and something that i already kind of had such a great um viewpoint of myself is that you know you guys had you, you guys had sort of done the 300 gigs a year for a couple of years and where your van would break down at least once every two months <laughs> yeah yeah that's i feel a, like yeah. having that having that background of uh, just you know, like basically, parents and family who 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 don't condemn you for doing that is is a is a gift. Definitely, we're we're really lucky. Like every single um, parent and step parent of of our band is is really supportive, and uh, you know it, it's really cute. They all kind of come down and wearing the merch and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, it's I mean, particularly in the in the in the kind of the early days, it was definitely can be a little hard to justify why you're sort of you know going to europe for like two weeks to come back 500 pounds worse off than you were when you left and to play to like 10 people I, i'm sure you can hear that alarm i'm just gonna shut my window no all good it's all about, all about all about integrity in this podcast <laughs> <laughs> but yeah you know so that that at first it was always a bit kind of like weird um and and I was, I'd started the band in uni, but I wasn't going to school for like music or anything. So when we kind of came out of school, it was a bit of sort of like, all right, just give me like, I think I said to my mom, like, give me like a year and a half or the rest of this year and next year to just do this and and then just kind of leave me alone. And if, Mm. if I get nowhere with it, then fair enough. But and but you know they never pressured me to like you should be getting a real job or any of that stuff so i'm super lucky in that respect so that was 101 part-time jobs with henry cox 
If you're new to this podcast, there's 27 other episodes that you can listen to. We've got The Beths, The Magic Gang, Squid, Creeper, Puppy, Brooke Bentham, Michael Cunniff from Boston Manor, if you really want to get into Boston Manor in a big way. Lightyear, there's there's a whole load more. Turnover, just look, go back in time and and relive it with me if you want to sponsor this podcast you can reach out at gilesbidder at gmail.com and we can chat there's loads of things we can do i'm sure there's also that time where i got keith from the office the uk office who i bumped into on a bus oh and as i mentioned we got jimmy wizard from higher power coming up next week i do enjoy these chats and if you want to help it continue then just reach out thank you so much for listening i've been working all day for me Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.